I'm Samantha B. Welcome to my podcast, Full Release with Samantha B. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's going to be a long time until any of us feel one. So Fox News told its team not to call Joe Biden president-elect, but I have no issue using the term, and I really like saying vice president-elect Kamala Harris, too. The past week has been a wild roller coaster where my emotions are tied to Steve Kornacki's khakis. But of course, we've known who won the most votes since Election Day. That was Biden. But we have spent almost a week in suspense because our democracy is held captive every four years by the antiquated system of the Electoral College. And true to form, Donald Trump prematurely declared himself the winner, claiming a vast conspiracy involving both Republican and Democratic state officials, dedicated poll workers, as well as millions of American voters, all coordinating against him. Honest to God, I can't even coordinate a time to get my fresh direct delivered. You think the whole country came together and coordinated an election heist? We've been too busy eating cheese in fear. Okay, what happens now? There's going to be hand-wringing, there's going to be recounts and lawsuits, but the work continues as we praise Stacey Abrams' name and curse Nate Silvers again. I promised myself I wouldn't get hurt by him again, but okay. So you've earned the right to settle in with this podcast and treat it as a bit of a reprieve from all the madness. We're going to try to stay positive by talking sane with smart people who will hopefully inspire you and help you navigate this trying time. And honestly, it's okay to be happy. It's okay to be happy. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to be worried. All of the things. We feel it too. I'm joined by my producers, Adam Howard and Svea Baron Reinstein. Okay, podcast gals. (sighs) This is the first time we're talking since our election day episode, which I thought was great. Have you turned off the news since Tuesday? I can answer that. The answer is no. <laughs> of course not. No, God, I haven't no. turned it off. <laughs> I have it on right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's on mute, but I'm looking at it right now. I've never no. turned it off this entire week, but I have turned it on mute when Rick Santorum has been speaking. <laughs> oh, that's that fair. is a good, and that's a really it's healthy a, It's choice. a house rule. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once seeing him in the green room at some news show that I was coming on to do, and I was like, ugh. And I don't even, and he looked at me and he had that same, <laughs> same recognition, same just recognition. Both our sphincters clenched in the exact same way. And we're like, oh, it was more like, it wasn't even, we didn't even really say hi. It was like, uh-huh. You know what I he mean? definitely just does it for like the access to the crafty table. Like, oh, why, why sure. does he want to be on CNN? He it loves, has to be just for like lunch. Yeah, he loves pineapple cubes. <laughs> he loves pineapple cubes in their own juice. Guys, gals, what's uh, what's your feeling? Okay, so we're recording this podcast. We know that Joe Biden is the winner of this presidential election. We're talking Friday midday, but it hasn't been official official. It's not like triple official. People are celebrating in the streets in Philadelphia. I'm celebrating in my heart and I'm filled with trepidation and my I have butterflies. Like, I don't know. How are you guys? I mean, thank God. (laughs) Thank God. But it's like, uh, if I can give my stupid hot take, I feel like when the dust 
really, really settles on this, which yeah. unfortunately will be for quite a while. Yeah. I think we're going to look back on this whole thing and, and realize what Joe Biden was, and Kamala Harris were able to accomplish was actually pretty remarkable considering yeah. all the hurdles that they had to get over and mm-hmm. misinformation and Russia and voter suppression. Like, I get that the initial reaction to this election was sort of like, oh, this wasn't as big a victory as we were expecting. But like beating an incumbent president is an incredibly hard thing to do. Um, And I think, you know, when the margins are finalized, he'll probably win by as big a margin as Obama won in 2012, maybe bigger. So Mm -hmm. a win is a win. But because of all the things you're saying, like Donald Trump (laughs) makes everything traumatic for us. And so we can't even (laughs) we can't even enjoy this victory, right? Because it's like, the idea of Donald Trump right. denying the election in theory is so different than the reaction, like the reality of him actually doing it. And it's, I, I've never been frightened of what Donald Trump does normally. Mm-hmm. I'm usually like, that's awful or it's racist. When mm-hmm. he comes out and just starts saying these completely insane, erroneous things about votes being illegal and people stealing mm-hmm. it from him, I, I, I'm chilled by it because I don't know what that's going to mean. And I don't right. know how, I mean, yeah, some elected officials are you know, kind of not going along with him. But if you are, like uh-huh. Lindsey Graham ran out there and was yeah. like, yeah, he's got a point. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, anyway, I'll yeah. shut up. But yeah. No, 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 it's true. And then, but I also think like, it, I agree. Everything that you said, I totally resonates with me. And yet another thing resonates with me, which is that I'm very bad at winning. Like I want to be, I want to so be all dancing Democrats, in the streets. Apparently. All, I know. No, but they are dancing in the streets in Philadelphia. That's good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's I think, just well, what they do. That's yeah. just like any day. <laughs> I'm going to celebrate. I swear to God, I'm just so emotionally and physically drained right now. Do you feel like you've been through like 10,000 ringer washer cycles. <laughs> I really do. Like an old fashioned one, the kind that you like, people used to flatten their hair in. <laughs> do you even know what I mean? <laughs> it's the sense that like time doesn't exist anymore because I love that like now every night we're still watching election night coverage and oh, yeah. everyone on the news is like, welcome back to election night in America. <laughs> like it's the, it's the fourth night of it. You, can't call it that anymore well i'm really hoping that by the time this ends that donald trump has just quietly moved out in the middle of the night like i used to do from my apartments (laughs) (laughs) just like left behind some hairballs of just like gossamer like hair (laughs) and old magazines you know what i mean sam he can't read (laughs) no they're it's <laughs> their picture mad National Geographic <laughs> kids. I've always suspected he's more like he would rather just not have the footage of him leaving. I don't think he cares as much about literally leaving, but he doesn't want the like loser shot of him walking out. And that's right. going to be, I feel like that's going to be the negotiation on the 20th is like, how can he slip out without having to like be in any way magnanimous about it? <laughs> oh God. Oh my God. The next three months are going to be wild. They're going to be lit. They are going to be insane. Holy crap. Okay. Well, okay. Well, you know, buckle up. Like I, 
I feel like last week I was like, well, buckle up. But now I'm like, no, <laughs> no buckle really up. buckle up. <laughs> last week you said buckle up. This week you're saying, okay, are you sure you don't have to use the bathroom again before you leave? <laughs> I'm like, Do you, did you buckle your parachute though? Like you did your seatbelt, but there's like some other straps you need to buckle in. Okay, we are gonna take a quick break, but we have Cecile Richards coming up and you're gonna wanna stick around after that because I'll be attempting to answer some 2020 election trivia. Oh, I can't wait to revisit that nightmare, but it hasn't really ended. So perhaps it's just a continuing theme. Don't go away because I have some hand-picked ads coming straight into your earballs. I'm so excited to talk to Cecile Richards. I adore her. I've spoken to her a few times in the past, but I'm like really into her and she's going to coach us through this day and tell us about all the exciting things that she's doing. You know her. She was the president of Planned Parenthood from 2006 to 2018, where she fought some of the biggest political fights of modern history. And since then, she co-founded Supermajority, an organization dedicated to training and mobilizing millions of women to become organizers and activists. Boy, do we need them right now. Please welcome to the show, Cecile. Hi, Sam. Oh, hi. How are you? We're doing Okay. Okay, we've got a lot to talk about today. Wowzers. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Tell me where you are at today. Let's just talk about what's happening right now. And then we can talk about kind of bigger picture stuff. Where's your head? How are you feeling? Well, I mean, I was glad to have this on the calendar so I could, you know, quit looking at the, you know, returns from yes. Gwinnett County. Uh, <laughs> I think yes. Like everyone else, we're uh, now looking at remote uh suburbs in places that we've never even been to. But yep. no, I'm uh, so I feel look, I feel confident. I feel that this was a long slog. I think many, mm-hmm. many folks have been waiting for this election for four years since the last mm-hmm. one. And I'm ready to celebrate changing, changing um, administration. I've been lighting my candles. I have all my votives. I have calling all my mm-hmm. ancestors. But I believe that yes, I hope that sometime in the not too distant future, we'll know the final results. Yes. What does celebrating feel like to you? Because I definitely feel like I'm not, I'm excited. I'm happy because I'm happy because we needed this to happen so badly. Are you so tired that you don't even know how to like, or will you raise a glass of champagne? Like, do you allow yourself to go there? Can you relax a little bit? I had my, my daughter and I were texting at, you know, one and two in the morning. I had the champagne glasses out. I said, maybe Uh I should put the champagne back in the refrigerator. I'm really not sure. She said, yeah, just go ahead and put it back in because it just may not be happening. Okay. This is, this is such an atypical election in a million reasons, which we can discuss, but that the lack of being with other people, the lack of being yes. able to actually celebrate the work that folks have done together. Uh-huh. You know, we, we've done that summit supermajority on Zoom with folks around the country. But yes, no matter when this gets called, I'm going to stop, take a beat and celebrate because this is a long time coming and, and it yes. took a lot. It took a oh, lot. Oh boy. Oh boy. This felt insurmountable. It's so difficult to beat. We were just talking about it before you and I got on the air together, how difficult it is to beat an incumbent president. It's a huge accomplishment. This is massive. Yes. And I think particularly, yes, beating an incumbent president almost never happens. And to beat beat one who so abused the um, everything about his position and 
you know, and folks kept saying, well, he can't do that. He can't be campaigning out of the White House. He can't. And he did it all. And so, I, you know, I think it is even a little bit more extraordinary. Uh, But again, uh, I think I think that when the final votes are counted and we look at the map, Mm -hmm. you know, actually, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will have won states that no one ever thought they could win. Uh, There's a lot. And obviously, there'll be a lot to learn. But I think it will be a real time for celebration uh, about this. Yes. About this. Yep. Since we've been, you know, this week has been so such tumult, you know, such a roller coaster. The president gave a horrific speech last night that was just like bananas and all the networks cut away from it. And rightly so. But it seems so quaint now, just that uh, like a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about violations of the Hatch Act. Right. (laughs) I know. Agreed. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> no. Every time you think it can't get lower, it it, it, it gets yes. lower. Um, although I kind of feel too, Sam, that I think the American people are ready for this election to be over too. Oh. And so all these efforts that the president is making to say, you know, we're going to fight this forever. I actually just don't think people have the stomach for it. Now yeah. we'll see. And I, we have to be prepared for anything because there isn't any, nothing's out of bounds, mm-hmm. but the, People are so resolute. Uh, I was, you know, I voted in New York and, mm-hmm. you know, waited for three hours plus uh, in, in the cold uh, yep. with, with, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of other people. And, you know, usually New Yorkers love to complain about everything. There wasn't, a, no one said a thing. It was like yeah. people were so determined. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Someone came up to a woman in line to figure out like how long it was going to take. And he, he said to her, how long have, how long have you been waiting to vote? And she says about four years. And I really do feel like that's how, you know, women just feel like this is, you know, people, they got busy the day after the last election and have been ready for this to come for a long time. A hundred percent. Okay. So let's talk about supermajority. Okay. The spring of 2019, you helped found supermajority. Just walk me through the successes that it brought this year. I mean, like, did you think when you started it that we'd have a, a woman on the ticket? Was this what you expected? hoped for? I mean, it's what I've always hoped for. But, you mm-hmm. know, we started and it wasn't just me. So to to give yes. credit where credit's due, you know, Alicia Garza, one of the co-founders of the Black Lives Matter movement, and Ai-jen Poo, who has organized domestic workers for her mm-hmm. entire life, and a couple other women, we just kept hearing from women who were saying, okay, I, you know, I went to the marches, I went to my town hall meeting, now what do I do? And that's really why we created super majorities. Like, what if we could create a political home for women that was multiracial, multi-issue, mm-hmm. and just was really about women supporting each other and building the political power that we need to change what's happening. So who knew what was going to happen? But even the, you know, the the day we launched, it was, it just exploded. Right. And we've, we have built a community. We now have about 4 million folks that are part of the supermajority family one way or the other. And you're right. We had no idea what the presidential field would really completely look like. Mm-hmm. And of course, is you know, it's so hard to remember back that we did have the most diverse field of presidential candidates in history. So many women, many of whom we met on the road, mm-hmm. you know, put in audiences with other women. And then of course, to have the move after Joe Biden won the nomination, I really believe that women and black women in particular were were so adamant that the ticket had to reflect this country. And right. I could not be, I mean, that's, I, 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 once the dust settles, 
I hope people really wrap their heads around what it means to have Kamala Harris as the vice president of the United States of America. This is, there's just no way to overstate how monumental this is, not just for this administration, but for how people think of what presidents and vice presidents look like. And it's huge. It's huge. Do you think that the result of this election is going to create any momentum behind the movement to abolish the Electoral College? Like, how can we even (laughs) talk about that without control of the Senate? Which, like, really, who knows? I know. Well, actually, the exciting thing is, again, it's a a lot to do. But with these two Georgia Senate seats potentially up, it could happen. No, you're right. We need democracy reform in so many ways, including Mm -hmm. the Electoral College. And I've just, I've been so impressed and also kind of disheartened by how much people understand how messed up our system is. Like, <laughs> right. and just, I would hear from women who are really were not active voters to say, how could Hillary Clinton have gotten 3 million more votes and we still have someone else in the White House? And so mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons I'm so glad this election is going the way it is, because this has been a repeated you know, pattern of a non-popularly elected president becoming president because of this this bizarre system we have yeah. in the electoral college. So we need that. We need we need you know election day to be a national holiday so that people can vote without without issue. We need national yes. voter registration. There are a number of things that we can do as a country that would make it our democracy stronger. Mm-hmm. Of course, I think we've I've never I mean I come from Texas where trying to suppress votes is just like a it's it, it's it's part of our DNA, but sure. I have been stunned at how the Republican Party really, I mean, not just the president, has Mm -hmm. really actively tried to prevent people from voting, and particularly in the middle of a pandemic when we should have gone to all lengths to make it safe and easy Mm -hmm. for people to cast a ballot. Yes. Oh, can we talk about the turnout in Texas? I mean, like, I know you cannot really overstate the progress that was made there. I mean, the fact that we were even talking about it at all, do you think it'll yeah. keep inching toward blue? I mean, wow. I think, yeah, I mean, it's an it's such an interesting state. And of course, 2018, you know, we had historic victories. We had the first two Latinas ever from the state of Texas go to Congress. And they're coming back, Sylvia Garcia and Veronica Escobar. This time we had you know, a record number of women, of people of color running for not just Congress, but up and down the ballot. That is a new trend. And it's not going to happen overnight, as obviously it didn't this time. But yes, the fact that people are now looking at Texas and seeing this is the future right. and it, a state where people are beginning to really invest in the grassroots organizing that you need um, to not only recruit candidates, but have have the enthusiasm from folks on the ground. I, I, I think it's going to be, um, I mean, it's just going to continue to be a state that gets more and more progressive. Right. And I'm really proud of the folks down there who for years have been doing this work. Incredible. And I just can't stop thinking about Stacey Abrams and the oh. work. I mean. I know. She should get the Nobel oh, Peace Prize. She should. Yes. This is a woman who is so determined oh. and to see what's happening in Georgia even as we're on this, you know, talking right now is yeah. that is that is tenacity and hard work. And yes. it's really exciting. I feel like I just want to put her in charge of like, here's the Department of 
fixing okay. just democracy in general and right. then just like a big laundry basket that's just spilling over with all kinds of like a janky democracy stuff and just go like can you just can you right. just fix it like whatever you need we're here just like carte blanche you know what to do can we leave this in your hands <laughs> Totally agreed. And I think what Stacey understood when what, you know, I was there with her for her campaign for governor. Mm -hmm. It was such a teachable moment since everyone around the country was watching. And I think we all would agree that if, if all the votes, if people had been allowed to vote and all the votes had been counted, she would have been governor, would be governor now. And I hope yeah. she'll be governor in the future. But really what Stacey showed us and what Beto showed us in Texas is that you you have to not just think about the electorate as it exists. You have mm -hmm. to think about the electorate as what it could be and how you could expand people's participation. And, and I think that's going to be one of the, the really important lasting parts of this election is we've had more people vote in this election since any election since 1900. This is yes. like a massive turnout. And that idea that actually a democracy could become everybody voting is something that we've never really we've never really believed in and we've never really right. invested in this country and, and that's what Stacy is all about yes do you when I mean it's really hard to say now because there's going to be a lot of you know obviously we're going to spend the next however many months thinking about this process and thinking about ways to make it better or thinking about what we did wrong what are the biggest takeaways for you at this moment because I feel like like, what do you think is the biggest lesson that we've learned from this election, if you can even really pin it down to one thing at this moment? Well, I mean, I guess I'll be, I'd say two things. One is I do think we need democracy reform. And it was so, it's just been so evident Yeah, that I don't think people, a lot of people realize that every single state and even sometimes every county has their own rules about voting. And right. particularly at a moment like this where the rules are changing day by day because of the, of the pandemic. I just think we have to have, yeah, universal registration. We have to, we have to believe that everyone should have the same rights to vote, same day registration, yeah. uh, you know, and voting. So that would be, I guess, number one in terms of really changing the opportunity to have a representative government. But the other thing I, I have been encouraged by, and also know we have so much work to do is just women are the majority of, of voters in this country. They have been over these last, you know, four years, but certainly in this last year, the majority of phone bankers and texters mm -hmm. and, you know, door knockers and volunteers and increasingly candidates. And I just think we have to double down on that. It's really exciting yeah. to think that we've, we might actually have a government that looked more like the American people. And that is a, it's been a radical concept <laughs> that we're finally beginning right. to kind of drive towards. Yeah, I have so many friends who phone bank and who did things really for the first time in Correct. this election season. Like people really understand, like, it's silly to say this, but you know, the the concept of phone banking was kind of was not in people's minds eight years ago, or I mean, it was for some people, but for many people, this was the first year they ever did it. I know so many people who are like, I sent a fruit basket to the person who I convinced <laughs> we were friends now. Like there's that's right. <laughs> I no, mean, you got it. It's, it's, I mean, that is, and in fact, that's really is why we created supermajority is because women mm -hmm. would, were just sort of coming out for the first time and saying, I've got to do something more. And we just did a, a national phone call of women who had phone banked and texted and everything into Michigan and Arizona and Pennsylvania. And mm -hmm. the beauty of it is every single thing they did mattered. 
those ended up being right. three of the states that really are going to determine the presidency. Mm-hmm. So I hope that the feedback loop in all of this is that people who did that, you know, who phone banked now have that memory bank and have yes. that skill set and that community and say, you know, that was worth it because we made a difference. And that yes. is, of course, the key to democracy of people reaching out to other people and supporting them and helping them vote. And that their kids saw them doing that and yeah. went, oh, this is like a part of the natural routine. Yeah. Like, this is what folks have been doing, like, for decades and decades and decades. Well, we'll we can do that, too. Like, that's part of our family what ritual we is that, well, that's what we do, because that's what yes. you do. No. Well, how did you make that work? Like, how did you pivot to get all of this volunteer work and engagement done in pandemic times? I know, right? Capital P, capital T. Yeah. You're no, it's totally right because of course we had started Supermajority and we went on a massive bus tour. In fact, we kicked off with Stacy down at Stacey Abrams in Georgia. And mm-hmm. then we, you know, went around the country and we met up with Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren. But then the pandemic hit. It's like, okay, we can't do that anymore. And we had to move completely right. on online. Uh, the good thing is women very resilient. <laughs> women, they can actually <laughs> they can do more than one thing at the same time and they can pivot and shift. And so just immediately, we were able to say to this massive community we'd built, okay, we're not doing it on the doors anymore. We're not going to all get together at the, you know, at the community center. We're going to be online. And I mean, we trained women in new skills in how to text bank and how to phone bank. As you said, a lot of women mm-hmm. who'd never done that. And I just found that really women were willing to do, to do anything and everything. And, you know, it's always been true of our political process. Any campaign office you ever go into or any, you know, where they're the volunteers, the folks running the phone banks, <laughs> the folks putting together the walk list, right. it's almost always women. And so this to me was just, we just said, okay, we're going to shift tactics. And folks said, okay, give me my list. We're ready, ready to go. I think kind of the fun thing about it, though, too, was because we had women all over the country, we could mm-hmm. have a DJ. We could do it on Zoom. Folks could see right. each other. You know, I talked to a woman in North Carolina. She says, I got a whole new group of friends, people from all over the country I've never met because they mm-hmm. were part of my phone bank. And that to me, you know, there's there are not many upsides to this pandemic at all, but I do think it created new communities, folks who never would have known each other. Right. It's incredible. I, just let me talk about women's health with you for a moment. Just let me pivot for a sec. Sure. I mean, okay, Amy Coney Barrett, mm. here we go. Let's, uh, you know, we can talk about SCOTUS for a sec. Yep. Um, even if Roe is overturned, oh God, Ugh. <laughs> I felt my heart right. sink even as I said that. It's kind of um, become a meme that wealthy women will always be able to get an abortion if they need one. How do we fix this class divide when it comes to protecting women and their bodies? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a big question. Sorry. That wasn't like a pivot for a sec. That's a huge. <laughs> Sorry. I just dropped a huge question on you. No, no, it's it's absolutely right. And look, you know, even if there isn't a case that literally overturns Roe, yeah. as you know, the right to access safe and legal abortion is already incredibly different depending on where mm-hmm. you live, how much money you have. Um so many things. And so it's, we need to address this regardless of Roe, uh, regardless of what happens at the Supreme Court. But as as I'm sure you know, there are many cases that are just waiting, you know, kind of been waiting in the wings in the federal Mm -hmm. court system to come up to the Supreme Court. 
And many of them, even if it didn't overturn Roe in name, it would effectively mean there could be no abortion provision left. So it's a real danger. And we have got to pass national legislation. We have to make this a national right. right. You know, the goal of the uh, opponents of reproductive health care have always been just make it a state level issue. Well, th- what that means is, yeah, you're, whether or not you have rights to your own body and your own decision making and even health care mm-hmm. depends on your zip code. Uh, and that's that's right. just not that's not right. And it's, of course, always falls harder on women with low incomes, people of color, folks who already have often very little access to health care. You look at the, you know, you could look at a map of the United States. And if you live in the deep South, mm-hmm. it's just really hard to get reproductive health care access. Yeah. I hope this is an issue. And again, certainly abortion access, but everything, maternity care, yes. as we know, the horrible rates of uh, maternal mortality for Black mm-hmm. women in America. These are things we can solve. It takes a political commitment and it takes a, a, a commitment by the government. And I really hope this is something, I know it's something that Senator Harris cares deeply about. Yes. I hope it's something that we can address with this new administration. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So do I. Yeah. I mean, among other things, this election really demonstrated how susceptible so many Americans are to disinformation. Mm-hmm. How do you think that pro-choice Americans can do a better job of getting an accurate message out on reproductive rights? Well, I mean, it's it's part of a much bigger problem. And I think this election, we're going to learn so much about the bad, complete lack of information that many folks had mm-hmm. by way of so many and things that I think you and I just would never even see in our Facebook feed, just stuff. I mean, sure. We know that this is was such a huge problem. And it's something that the this president and administration really, really benefited from and leveraged in every way. So I think that you could put abortion access and yes, what does it really mean to be able to make these own, your own decisions about your pregnancy? And we have to continually, you know, have that conversation. I mean, there is a lot of misinformation, but if you mm-hmm. ask the American people, in general, not whether you're pro-choice or pro-life and put some kind of political label on it. But if you Mm -hmm. really ask American people who should make decisions about pregnancy, should it be the pregnant person or should it be government? They overwhelmingly come down on the side of pregnant people. And there is Mm -hmm. a lot of empathy. And people realize that even if it's a complicated decision for some people, it's their right to make that decision. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think, so we're still a country that supports abortion rights, Unfortunately, the way uh, our state legislatures are gerrymandered, and frankly, so is the United States Senate, I believe that people who are elected to office are are not where the American people are. So we have to change who's in office as well. It, I don't yeah. think it's just a conversation with the American people. I think it's getting politically active. I mean, it's, was, it's pretty amazing to see Gary Peters, a mm-hmm. man who shared that deeply personal story about abortion. Do you think that more people, I'm really actually, all I'm saying, I'm really just making a statement. I hope that more people can realize that they can be honest about this stuff and not fear for their political futures. Like I'd love to see that right. come into reality. I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't know how many folks followed that, that Senator Peters shared that story. I mean, and the unique thing about it, of course, was that he's a man. And that, yes. I mean, so many women, including myself, uh, you know, so many have told their own abortion stories, but it's very rare mm-hmm. that men share 
mm-hmm. their experience as well. And it it is something that is, it's such a human condition. It is such a yeah. human, it's it's always going to be part of healthcare, part of personal decision-making. So, you know, it was, it was really important that he did that. And I'm glad he's going back to the United States Senate. Mm-hmm. What would you like to see as this administration's first priority? Well, we have to deal with COVID. The, uh, I mean, it's just, you know I mean, what? I know I forgot seems, about COVID for like one second. No, I know. So well, that's what, <laughs> God I know it's real. Well, but you know, you know, when talking to women, you know, through supermajority around the country, yeah, l- literally, as you know, I mean, women can't, this whole myth of women working from home, it's like, yeah, right. working from home between like, you know, 5 a.m. and 8 until their kids get up and then they're yes. like staying up till 2 and 3. In the, this is not sustainable. And, and no. as you know, hundreds of thousands of women have left the workforce. Mm-hmm. Some of them, many of them probably permanently because they literally cannot work. They can't, their kids can't go to school. Caregiving yeah. isn't safe. They're, they're breaking. And yeah. women of color most profoundly. So we have to get we have to get this under control. I mean, that was one of my f- fears. I thought if we, if, if Donald Trump isn't defeated, we're never going to end this pandemic because he is, yes. has been unwilling to address it in any way. So I think mm-hmm. that's number one. But I think in addition to that, as you know, we've, there's been a lot of discussions about the disproportionate impact on women. I think we need a Women's Recovery Act. Uh, we need to really look at, you know, what has happened to women in the workforce, to moms, to caregivers, to frontline providers, emergency responders, teachers. Mm -hmm. These are women. These are women of color. These are the women who are the backbone of our economy. And we, this is a, as as many people have written, like this is a female recession here. This, Mm -hmm. the impact is felt hardest on women and we're going to be the last to recover. So I hope whatever we do in terms of addressing COVID that, women are a huge part of that. I mean, I love that Elizabeth Warren and Senator Smith had proposed a bailout of the childcare industry. What if we had done Mm -hmm. that instead of bailing out the airline industry, we actually might be able to have people go back to work. So we just need a different lens on, uh, on what it means to address the COVID crisis. Yeah. As someone who is in the New York City public school system and, you know, and it's such a, <laughs> I mean, it's been such an experience, but the the priority that was given to bars to open and yeah. it's r- provably one of the most unsafe decisions to make. <laughs> right. <laughs> that we had to take a backseat to making sure everyone could get wasted. <laughs> well, and once they're in the bars, like sometimes even make worse decisions. So, yes. no, it's really... Just a bad cycle. Oh. That's why I'm so thrilled about Kamala Harris. Yes. I mean, she understands and has fought on these issues her entire life. And having having that perspective in the White House, it's just incalculable. Priceless. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. There's already so much pressure on Biden. I mean, at the moment that we're speaking, he isn't it's not official official, but I'm assuming that it's about to become official. There's so much pressure on him to be a uniter already and reach out to Republicans. Why do we never hold Republicans to this same standard? Or we like try and then they just don't listen. <laughs> right. Always this cycle, this endless cycle. Right. No, it's tough. And look, I think the Mitch McConnell has been the single sort of biggest impediment to any progress in all of his time and leadership. And mm-hmm. th- I, there, so it is going to require, I mean, it's, 
Of course, Joe Biden, I mean, he is an experienced government official. He saw what happened, you know, in under the Obama administration and the intransigence of the Republican Party. I mean, I think he's going into this not as a naive person about the challenges. I really do think that, and this is why I'm excited about women and the fact that women are like more organized than ever before is mm-hmm. there is going to have to be pressure at the grassroots level. That's how the Senate is going to change. And that's how Congress is going to change. It has to be a partnership right. between the folks in the White House, um, you know, are the House of Representatives, and then people around the country who are just saying, demanding, we, you know, we have to have democracy reform, we have to have right. uh, an, a COVID relief, we have to address systemic racism in this country, and we have to make sure that people have healthcare access. And that's going to require all of us on the outside, pushing as hard as we can for right. things that are frankly, mainstream, bipartisan yeah. values. This is not like these are not, you know, wild and crazy ideas. These are things that are supported by the American people. And right. um, so that's that's the work ahead, I think. Well, we know. Yeah. I mean, Trumpism is not going away. No. Nope. You know, at the time we we're speaking about this, at least 69 million people put their n- name down and said, four more years of this, please. I thought that was great. Give me more. Mm-hmm. And that is hard to... <laughs> I just, I can't, it's, anyway, I'm struggling to, I'm struggling to understand that. That for me is the a big, uh, it's a struggle, quite honestly. I don't even really have the words. How do we need to adjust our efforts to repudiate that? Right. Like, what do we do? Uh, How do we build those? I mean, we have a QAnon person in Congress, I'm not right. saying that you have the answer here, but let's right. uh, be worried together. <laughs> no, and no, and let's don't like as as much as we can take a celebratory moment and say, okay, that horrific chapter ended. You're right. There are millions yeah. of people that voted to keep it going, and we can't pretend it didn't happen. I mean, I think everyone has to figure out the pieces that they can do. I know yeah. for me, it is. I believe for a long time that if we can organize women across race, mm-hmm. across issues, understand the, the things we have in common, the values that we share, and mm-hmm. not be afraid of you know getting into politics or to your examples earlier of doing more phone banking or running for office, whatever it is, that we could at least begin to shift the, the political dynamic. And I think that began to happen, but we've got a long way to go. Look at this election. Again, Black women overwhelmingly voted Mm -hmm. to elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Uh, Latinas, same. Uh, Not as as in high numbers, but certainly uh, overwhelming majority. White women, we still have a lot of work to do. And I really Mm -hmm. think that's, and and that's something we should just say, that's the work we're committed to doing. And, And, you know, calling in our sisters and saying, we we've got to do more. I think we've, you know, we've begun to make progress, but look, there has been a group, one group that has really held power for our entire history. And it is going to take more than two years or four years to break that. But this is becoming a country that is more racially diverse. Young people are more progressive and women are more empowered. And we're just going to have to continue to feed that support that build those communities, in my opinion, 
but it's you're right. There's part of this that is really hard to. It's just hard to imagine that anyone voted for him. <laughs> again. Unimaginable. Well, you've been well, you've been protesting injustice since you were in the ninth grade. How do you how do you stay in those fights? How do you stay committed to things that feel like the the problems are insurmountable or the mountain is too high to climb? How do you stay in it? Because there's always something that we do win. And I actually think for all of our faults, change is, um, change is coming. And it always is. I mean, I look at, I was actually, I was thinking about when Nancy Pelosi went to Congress, I think less than 5% of the U.S. House of Representatives was female. Mm-hmm. And this year, 40% of the Democratic caucus are women and increasingly right. women of color. So it's right. It's not like we you know, flip a switch and then suddenly okay, we've got this like, you know, progressive panacea, but I do Mm -hmm. see change happening. And, you know, one of the things that was so great working at Planned Parenthood even was um, for all those years is every year there was a whole new crop of young people who Uh were eager and not burned out and ready. And I think actually we saw that this election, Sam, we saw young people on the front lines of racial justice movements, of the family separation fight, of gun violence, you know, and gun reform, of climate change. That's what keeps me going Mm -hmm. is, you know, if we were fighting for things and no one cared, right, uh, that would be tough. (laughs) But that's not what's happening. Right, right. there's the squad's just an, all reelected now. Exactly. First transgender state senator elected. They're right. not outliers anymore. It's real. Change happens. It does. It doesn't, I think it doesn't happen on its own though. And it's something that maybe that's why, I mean, look, I just feel so privileged to have always been kind of a troublemaker and, and mm-hmm. organizer. And it happens because people get together and say, I think things could be better. Things could be different. And I guess that's the other piece of that to see young people and particularly young women and young women of color running for office when in the old days it would be, they'd have to wait 20 or 30 years for someone to make a place for them. And now they're just saying, I'm not waiting. Right. <laughs> I'm just, you know, and AOC is a perfect example, but there are a lot of them. And, and, and that is really wonderful. That's sort of my mantra now is just start before you're ready. This is it. Oh, start before you're ready. Oh, that's great. Right? Yes. Just go because right. no reason to wait. I think I love Tony Kushner wrote, I think, in Angels in America that the world only spins forward. And I've mm-hmm. always liked that idea that because mm-hmm. even, I mean, it may be wobbly sure. as it <laughs> yes. spins, but but that's where we're going. And that that makes me... That that feeds me. That that feels good. What what do you think? What's next for supermajority? So first, champagne, crack yeah, it. Exactly. It's been yeah. chilling for days. <laughs> it's very cold and perfect. That's right. We're gonna yeah. We'll do a little bit of that. We'll have like a you know have a dance party on the zoom. Yes. All those good things. And now no now we're ready to like make change and ready. Look, I think it's clear what we need to do in this country. I think there. Are, there are a lot of places where we can make progress, particularly for gender equity. Uh-huh. And that's what I think folks are ready to go. I've, I've been calling women who've been phone banking now for months and stuff. And they're like, okay, great. Did this election. Now let's, what are we going to do on addressing climate change? What are we going to do to address this <sighs> pandemic? What they're now they've got like, they got their skills. They got their posse. Wow. They got their organization. They're like, okay, let's go. And <sighs> so that to me is, 
that's what's next. And look, to your question earlier, racism and and sort of the in the patriarchy or white supremacy, these are twins that have been co-joined and have dominated American politics and power forever. Mm-hmm. And we still have a lot of work to do. And I think some of the most exciting things that we have done with Supermajority is work at the grassroots level to begin to build multiracial communities of women mm-hmm. who expand their own mind about what's happening in the world, their mm-hmm. community, the way they think about issues, the way they think about engaging other folks. Because I think that's a big piece of the work that we haven't done before. And women are ready for that. Okay. Everybody's poised. Everybody's got ready their, go. everybody's yeah. sharpened their skills. <laughs> yep. And they're like, give me something. Give me a yep. job. Everybody yep. wants a job right now. <laughs> that's right. I mean, last night we did a big national call and folks are like, okay, we're all going to Georgia, you know, helping the, oh. helping the uh, runoff. Uh, the runoff. It, yeah. I mean, there's mm. big, two big Senate runoffs there. And yes. so, yeah, we'll have to wait for Commander Abrams to give us all our, <laughs> our, our uh, instructions. But yes, oh. women are just getting started. We'll get back on those buses. We'll travel all around and do this. We got it. Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's so nice to see you, you know, ish uh, in, yes. in this crazy world, but it's going to end at some point. It is. I'm sorry we didn't get to celebrate this victory here together on the podcast, but. Well, you know it's, what? It's, it's in our hearts. It's in our hearts. It's coming. Yep. It has probably, for the people who are listening to this, it has probably already happened <laughs> and we're going to take a nap but there's a lot of work to do. So don't make it a long nap. Like you don't get the whole, you don't get a whole long weekend to celebrate. You get like a day or two to just calm down, have a glass of bubbly and then get back into it. (laughs) Get back on the, yes, get back on the horse. That's it. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. Yeah, great to talk to you too. Okay, I gotta squeeze another quick break in right here. Okay, we're back. I do love the idea that Cecile Richards has put in my head of just like hordes of women who've yeah. had a goal in mind for a really long time who now are like, well, what's the next goal? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Hey, nobody nobody another... wants to go home. Nobody wants to go home. We're pretty energized. We still have a pandemic. There's a whole winter ahead, which God only knows what that's going to look like. So just in terms of busy making and fixing the whole goddamn mess. Right. What's what's on the agenda next? Right. Like, like boy, I, I, I can't go I back love to a just list. texting my friends. Now I need to text strangers no. every day also. Strangers <laughs> every day. What I think is happening now is that my phone is never going to stop getting texts from people that I don't know. <laughs> 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 I'm okay with that. I think I can live with it as long as they're like nice messages. A, I feel like you need a burner phone for all your political activism. <laughs> <laughs> I need a burner phone for a lot of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I get more emails from Jamie Harrison than members of my own family at this point. <laughs> so. well, talk about someone with a lot of time to email. Oh, oh, no. No. Too soon. Too soon. No, I wasn't ready. <laughs> hey, I gave him lots of money. I, I know. Me too. <laughs> I gave him so much. Uh, okay. All right, you two. <laughs> now that the 2020 election is mostly over, hoping, 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 I thought it would be a masochistic good time to look back on what has definitely been the longest, most exhausting, 
awful, terrible election season of our lives, and maybe ever. It's been more than a year of this campaign. It's been really more like four years of campaigning to me, and there's been so much campaigning. There are probably more than a few moments and facts that may or may not have slipped my mind. My mind isn't what it used to be. And I think it's because of this election. (laughs) My vision isn't what it used to be. I'm sure it has nothing to do with age, but rather the dizzying heights of this election season. So my producers, Adam and Svia, have decided to quiz me to see how much I can remember and how much I'd love to forget. I bet I've forgotten everything. I bet you I have forgotten what happened yesterday. Okay, podcast gals, try uh, to stump me. Yeah, what I'll ask you the first one. Um, and, the, and it's a doozy. Is this hard? It, it's a hard so trivia? Some are, some are harder than others. This one's oh, going to be probably no. a little tedious for you. But but all are fun. Okay, hit me with it. The first question is, uh, as you know, there was like an insane number of, of Democrats who ran this year. Yeah. I wanted to find out if you could name as many of the 25 Democrats who sort of were credible candidates, this means they were able to like plausibly be on a debate stage because we couldn't name them all. You could name as many of them as possible. And then as a bonus question, can you name the candidate that launched their campaign first all the way back in August of 2017? What? Oh my God. I tried to do this myself and I could only get to 20. And you always forget somebody who should be like an obvious person. Oh, my God. You always forget Joe Biden. (laughs) What? Are you saying to who the Democratic candidates were? Yeah, if you could see how many you can remember. Oh. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, Okay. Pete Buttigieg. I'm going to go so slowly because Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay. Joe Biden. Mike Bloomberg, Cory Booker. <laughs> Sorry, I find this so funny for some reason. <laughs> it is. You do? Also, well, because also just got silent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I realized how like nervous I was listening. <laughs> it's a high wire act. <laughs> um, Elizabeth Warren. Did I already say her? No, no, no. <laughs> Kirsten Gillibrand. Uh, John Delaney. Is that what what his name was? (laughs) Beto O'Rourke? Did he do it? I can't even remember. I love how you're forgetting who they are. Who are they? You somehow know their names, but you don't know who they are. Who's the one one I met in a bar who buys his pants on eBay? Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett. (laughs) Tulsi Gabbard. Um, Oh... Uh, okay. I've forgotten some people who were important. Who are the other ones? Are you really, you're giving up? Or yeah, I give up. Oh I my God, up. this is amazing. Who is Swalwell? Okay. That yeah, he was one familiar. of them. Okay, you got so. Oh, gang. And there you go. <laughs> oh my we- God, you know who I forgot? <laughs> Bill de Blasio. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> You're going to be oh appalled God. by some of the other ones you forgot, but oh, do, you, do you want shit. a couple oh, more no. seconds? Orbs. <laughs> Who? Orbs. Orbs. Who's Orbs? Marianne Williams. Oh. <laughs> Orbs. <laughs> Orb lady. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, Tom Steyer. Mm-hmm. Of course. Billionaire plaid tartan tie. Yep. And there was another guy who looked like every other guy in the world. Oh, my God. Amy Klobuchar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, Michael, I'm going back to Michael Bennett. <laughs> he is a good oh, baseline. What about man. Steve Bullock? What about him? He was one of the candidates. He was one you of them. Him. Yeah. That's. You're doing a really good job, by the way. You're doing all great. I can remember. Well, it, it really, like the... It's moving slowly. Who did I forget? I probably okay, forgot so someone forgot so huge. you forgot Kamala Harris. <laughs> <laughs> Which is okay, because she's vice my president. God. It's not okay. Now she's never going to come <laughs> on our show. <laughs> yeah, we'll cut um, this out. Oh, uh, oh <laughs> Juliana Castro. Yeah, and uh, former past guest on the show, John Hickenlooper, now going to be oh, a senator. yes, that's right. Yeah. That is great. Guitar, Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan. Strumming. Do you remember I Tim Ryan? Like, no, there's no one. No one's going to remember Tim Ryan. Really? Because I feel like he's the person that you said looks like everyone else. He's the one who looks like everyone else. But then there's the other one who's like a silver fox. That's the, Jay Inslee. That's that Jay Inslee. Jay Inslee. Yeah, I forgot uh, his name momentarily, but I can picture him. Yeah. Well, no, he that's was all handsome. you need. Yeah. Uh, and then I there's can, like... I, can't you see what's <laughs> you in my head? need to be able to capture the image. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like some like lesser rememberable ones, memorable ones like Seth Moulton, uh, oh, yeah, no. Deval Patrick, who was in the race oh, for like Deval 30 Patrick. seconds. But, That's uh, right. Mike yeah. Ravel, who really like <laughs> launched a whole new world for oh, yeah, young people. And of oh, course, wow. Bernie Sanders, who I don't think you mentioned either. <laughs> I did not mention it because I don't think of him as. He's wow. bigger than that. He was bigger. He's than just huge. A he was bigger than just a candidate. Like yeah. he's. Well, he pretty... also I feel like he never stopped running. So. I feel like he yeah. still is. Yeah. He's we'll give of, it to you. Forgetting <laughs> him is like forgetting Kamala Harris. They're just yeah. sort of bigger than that in my yeah. brain. Uh, and okay. uh, do you remember who launched their campaign first back in 2017? Who launched first? Was it Bill de Blasio? <laughs> no. <laughs> I love how you said that, though. Bill was de it Bill de Blasio? De Blasio? Uh, <laughs> uh, John Delaney. John Delaney well, was the first good. candidate. <laughs> he was like, let's do this. It's going to take a little extra time. because <laughs> I need a three-year head start. <laughs> I need a head start. Wow, really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't... Uh, that's great. Good for... It worked out great. <laughs> you don't want to be the... You don't want to be the first person at the party. Mm-hmm. And no, he definitely provable. does. He wanted to be the first person. <laughs> he brought the dip. Yeah. That's... Oh, boy. I'm just sitting here with my dip. I'm still having fun. I'm having fun just with me. No, no, I'm my dancing. friends are totally coming. Mm-hmm. All right. Wow. Do you remember which candidate launched their campaign in the middle of a snowstorm? Oh, in a snowstorm. If you think about it, it's like really on brand. Mm-hmm. It would have to be Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> exactly. <is> <laughs> Oh, yes. did it snow on her? Didn't she was outside? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Was like snow was blowing all around her. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's on brand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Michael Bloomberg, as you may remember, spent nearly one billion dollars on his campaign. Mm-hmm. He only won a single primary. Which <gasps> primary did he win? Oh. Oh yeah, it was uh oh geez. Oh boy. Oh boy. It was American Samoa. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Even I could win a primary in American Samoa. (laughs) We should mount a vanity campaign for you there in four years, just there. Uh, Oh, I'm so embarrassed by how poorly I rolled out all the candidates. Oh, that was good. (laughs) I was impressed. I'm old. 
<laughs> not, not what I used I to be. I think some of the candidates couldn't have named the other candidates. A hundred percent. Like they were there's, on stage with them. <laughs> there's trauma there. There's yeah, trauma yeah. there for me. All right. Um, at the beginning okay. of the election season, Full Frontal yeah. launched a primary game called Full Frontal's Totally Unrigged Primary. Which yes. candidate won the game and how much money do they owe us? <laughs> oh, that was Andrew Yang and he owes me $50,000. <laughs> We gave him $50,000. Yes. We're yeah. super he, generous. Not only did we give him, and we, and as this is what's in my mind, and I'm not sure that this happened, but we basically were like, he won because his supporters completely rigged our game. <laughs> Which I was like, kudos. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, partly yeah, yeah. The, the reason we do these things is because it's partly a social experiment and like how does this work and like what could this be and the andrew yang people <laughs> were very into the game and they very much cheated and shared all the answers and <laughs> won the game and totally rigged it for themselves and i say kudos but then we did have to give him the proceeds of the game fifty thousand dollars and like the next day he dropped out <laughs> right which one of these is not a nickname that donald trump gave joe biden so oh okay it, a sleepy joe sleepy joe is real b corrupt Mm -hmm. joe c sleazy joe or d basement biden Hmm. (laughs) interesting they're all believable i don't think he called him sleazy joe that is correct. Did he? he did not yeah. call him Sleazy Joe. Yeah, Sleazy. No, Basement Biden. <laughs> yeah, that one made <laughs> Jesus me laugh. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, can we never hear from this person again? Ever. Please. I need this. I hope you liked my podcast. If you did, let me know in the comments. If you didn't, please consider hate listening in the future. Seriously, though, please rate, review, and subscribe to Full Release on Apple Podcasts and keep sending us your questions and feedback at fullreleaseatsambi.com. We'll be back next week to continue digesting this historic and exhausting presidential election and to think about what this all means for the country's future. After all, wow, we still have to reckon with Donald for the next couple of months. Oh, God. And see you next Tuesday for another full release. This podcast was produced by Adam Howard and Svea Baron Reinstein with research provided by Noreen Malik and IT and technical production provided by High Tech. It was edited by Julia Pott and hosted by me, Samantha B. There's going to be a lot of gross stuff left behind when Trump leaves. Ew. <laughs> you know it. Oh, and they're going to go right into the Rose Garden and redo all of that shitty horticulture <laughs> they're gonna be like this is awful oh